Does God give up on his kids when they sin? Will he turn away from his children and ignore their prayers when they have failed? According to John Fonville, God is faithful. He's a God who disciplines his children, but we can have confidence that he's a God of mercy as we struggle with our sin. He hears us and forgives his children. Today we're looking at Psalm 6 in our mini-series called How to Keep Going. And here's John with part one of The Lord Accepts My Prayer. Psalm chapter 6. We'll come back to it in just a moment, but just by way of introduction uh, about what this psalm is talking about, Christians of old used to speak about an experience that they called the dark night of the soul. Uh, And what this phrase describes is a time of great spiritual struggle that even the greatest, right, so-called, the holiest so-called of Christians have experienced. Uh, For example, King David in this psalm writes about the dark night of the soul that he experienced uh, at a time in his life. And so he wrote this psalm during a time in his life when he was overwhelmed with some unspecified sin that he had committed and that he's now grieving over. Uh, it doesn't, in the psalm, he doesn't tell us exactly what this sin was, but apparently it was so grievous to him that he had encountered the severe discipline of God for it, and he was going through a dark night in his soul, and he was in great anguish. As we hear the psalm, you will hear the, the, the emotion and the anguish that David is expressing in the psalm. So Psalm 6 is the first of what is referred to as the penitential psalms. Penitential psalm is simply uh, when an author is confessing his sin and he's asking God for his mercy and forgiveness. And so this is the first one that we find in the book of Psalms. So let's read this psalm and just listen to David as he is calling out to God in his dark night. This is what he says. He says, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chase me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am pining away. I am weak. He cries out. He says, heal me, O Lord. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are dismayed and my soul is greatly dismayed. He says, but you, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, rescue my soul. Save me because of your loving kindness. For there is no mention of you in death and in Sheol. Who will give you thanks? And listen, he says, he says, I am weary with sighing. Every night I make my bed swim. I dissolve my couch with tears. And he says, my eye has wasted away with grief. It has become old because of all my adversaries. Depart from me, all you who do iniquity, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord receives my prayer. And he says, he says all my enemies will be ashamed and greatly dismayed. They shall turn back. They will be suddenly ashamed. So what happens is this, is that often when a believer, like David describes here, uh, experiences a dark night, right? He or she is tempted to think something like this. How can I be a Christian and struggle like this? 
right? I am weak. I'm so weak. I'm not this super spiritual on fire believer, right? Rather, I'm, I'm quite cold. I'm dry. I'm too burdened to read the Bible. I'm too tired to pray. I'm too depressed to go to church. God is distant. God is angry with me. God has abandoned me. He's silent. What is wrong with me? And so I guess I must not be saved because if I was truly saved, I would not be experiencing such a dark struggle like this. And so what happens is, is when believers encounter these periods in their life, they're tempted to not keep going on. Because that's what we've been looking at for the past couple weeks. How do we keep going, right? Well, just a couple of things. This is a very dark psalm, but actually this morning, as dark as it is, it's actually meant to be for your joy. And you'll see that later on. But I want you to keep in mind as we go through this psalm, Psalm 6, it was written by King David, who is often described to us as the man after God's own heart. This psalm was not written by someone who was naturally inclined to be in melancholy or, to de- or given to depression. But in this psalm, David describes his dark night of the soul experience. He is lamenting over his sense of sin, and he expresses this spiritual and emotional and physical afflictions which flow from it. And and so here's the ironic thing is not only is this psalm dark, but for your joy, it's not only anguish, but it's for your comfort. The ironic thing is, is this psalm is actually comforting because in it we find David, the man after God's own heart, right, giving expression to his time of intense struggle. Why is that comforting? Because those who actually do go through a period of intense struggling with their sin and experience a dark night can can immediately identify with David's lament and they can be comforted by that because they know that it's not just them but they can identify with another who's actually gone, oh, I, yeah, I recognize that. I guess I'm not crazy. <laughs> I guess I am a Christian because here is King David of all people, right? The super saints of the Old Testament, and he is experiencing this dark night, and I can identify with David. And so it's comforting to know that we're not alone in experiencing such a dark time, that this isn't, this isn't something abnormal that a Christian should not experience. Let's look at Psalm 6, and let's see how David gives us four descriptions of his dark night. Four descriptions of his dark night. We'll go through it, and we're going to come back and say, what do we do when we find ourselves in it? All right, so look at verse 1. The first thing, the first description that David gives is this. is he, Look what he says. He's weighed down with a sense of God's anger and displeasure. Listen to what he prays. He says, oh, Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten, nor discipline me in your hot displeasure. That's how you can translate it. So so let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt like David? Has there ever been a moment in your life where you just felt overwhelmed with a sense of God's displeasure and his anger towards you? Perhaps you feel like that this morning, right now. You've done something wrong, you've committed sin, 
and you know it, and as a result, you're just overwhelmed with this ongoing sense of God's anger and displeasure about that. This is David right here in verse 1. He has this sense of God's displeasure, his severe discipline for a sin that he had committed, and he's just overwhelmed by it. Look at verse 4. Here's the second description. Uh, Verse 4, David laments loss of God's favorable presence. Listen to how he prays. He says, return, O Lord, return, O Lord. So that suggests to us that David senses that God has abandoned him somehow, that somehow God's favorable presence is no longer looking upon him. He says, return, oh Lord, deliver me. Deliver me from the sin I've committed. Deliver me from from my sin. Deliver me. He says, oh, save me for your mercy's sake. This loss of God's favorable presence is indicated by David's cry, return, oh Lord. And so again, maybe you felt like David after you sinned, perhaps greatly sinned, and you say, return, oh Lord. I want to sense your favorable presence again in my life. See, David, David, and perhaps you have felt that God had withdrawn himself and turned away, that he's become silent and distant, that, that perhaps he's abandoned you. And you're saying, return, O Lord, come back. Look at verses 6 and 7. Look at this description. Here's the third description. David experiences a loss of sleep. This is a physical effect. Look at what he says. He says, he says in verse 6, he says, I'm, I'm worn out from groaning. He says, all night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. This is the New King James. He says, my eyes, verse 7, grow weak with sorrow. They fell because of all my foes. David was weighed down with a sense of God's displeasure and anger. He was overcome with a loss of God's favorable presence. And the result of that is he can't sleep at night. He can't sleep. You see, there is an indivisible union between our soul and our body. What affects us spiritually can also affect us physically. There are times in our lives when we fall into sinful habits and patterns that lead us to a dark night. And so we find ourselves going through life in a particularly dark and cloudy period, dragging ourselves through the day, hardly able sometimes to function. And then we come to the end of the day, right? And we get into bed and we just sit there and lie awake, tossing and turning and looking at the ceiling And we get up the next morning and we just feel physically exhausted rather than refreshed. This past April, I got a Fitbit. And uh, here it is. I keep it on 24-7 for my 24-7 fitness tracker. And uh, it has a sleep tracking mechanism to it. I thought, well, this would be great because I hadn't been sleeping good and I was concerned about a lot of different things. And I was like, well, I need to sleep better. So I'm going to start tracking my sleep and get my sleep habits down and really sleep good. I've been sleeping better lately, thank goodness. And I've kind of figured out my sleeping patterns and habits and things like that. But, but I've noticed if you're a married couple, I know this has never happened to you before. You've never had an argument with your spouse and then gone to bed and didn't make up 
right? And ask for forgiveness and, and make it right, but you just go to bed angry. That's never happened to you. It's never happened to me and Kathy ever, right? But, but when, when things like that happen and, and you're not reconciled, you just lay there in bed at night, in the middle of the night, it's like two in the morning, it's the worst time, I just can't stand it. And you just wake up and you know, it's like, just roll over and tell her you're sorry and ask her to forgive you for being a jerk and go to bed. You know, and your flesh is like, I'm not, I'm gonna hold out because I'm gonna win this argument. You wake up the next day exhausted. Your eyes are burning, your legs are tired, your arms are tired, your back hurts, you just feel bad, you can't sleep, because just a whole night, you, 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 you're like David, you're, just, you're experiencing a loss of sleep. And sometimes in our Christian lives, when we have sinned or done something, our consciences are afflicting us, and we haven't yet repented correctly and confessed our sin correctly. God's severe discipline comes on us, and you just toss and turn. You can't sleep. It's exactly what happened to David here. And so you would get a bad Fitbit sleep score <laughs> until you repented properly. Look at this fourth description in verses 2 and 6. David experiences spiritual and physical fatigue. He says, have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. And then he says, oh, Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. I am weary with my groaning. And so, again, we see this inseparable connection here between the spiritual and the physical. There are times in our lives when we just become spiritually and physically exhausted because of our sin. Living in, in sin in an unrepentant fashion is exhausting. It's a hard life. And so David, whatever he had done in this particular period of his life, uh, he had experienced physical, he was experiencing this physical, this physical and spiritual exhaustion, and God's discipline had become quite severe in his life at this time because he's so overwhelmed by his sin that he says he's weak, and, and his bones, his bones, his innermost being is troubled and that he has become weary and that he has groans, right? And so what can happen is, is that when we experience a dark night like this, we can be overcome with weakness and fatigue and this, this weariness sets in that makes even normal everyday activities very difficult. This is how one author says it. He says, we become too tired to get out of bed and get dressed. He, he says, we become too worn out to, uh, to, to get into the, uh, he says, we become worn, we, we get too worn out to care about going to work. He says, we get too exhausted to get the kids off to school. We become too weary to clean the house, too depressed to go to church, too burdened to read the Bible, and too sluggish to even pray. Look at verse 3. We just have this exasperation, and all we can pray is what David prayed. He says, my soul is greatly troubled, but you, O oh Lord, how long? That becomes a prayer. How long? Right? This profound grief over sin that he's committed in this has this spiritual and emotional and physical effects that resulted from it, and he longs for the dark night to end and for the light of day, God's favorable presence, to come again. 
So here's the question, is that when we experience a dark night of the soul like David, what do we do? How do we keep going when we possess a sense of God's anger and displeasure and a loss of his favorable presence and we can't sleep and we're weak and worn out and groaning? How do we come out? What do we do? Well, here's the first thing as we look at this. Here's what you have to do. Here's the first thing. First, you have to distinguish between what is called filial and slavish fear. You have to, first of all, when you find yourself in this dark night, you have to distinguish carefully between what's filial and slavish fear. Look at verse 1. This is what David says. He says, oh, Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me. Discipline me in your hot displeasure. That is a description of what Bible uh, teachers call filial fear. This isn't slavish fear. Let me help you with this. There's a sermon. Uh, it's, it's my favorite sermon title of all time that I've ever found up to this point in my life. And this is a title. It's called Law Death, Gospel Life. Isn't that a great title? <laughs> Law Death, Gospel Life. And it was by a Scottish Presbyterian minister in the 18th century or 17th century, uh, Ralph Erskine. And in, in, in his sermon, he helps us understand the difference between filial and slavish fear. And he talks about how God the Father gives to believers in their life filial fear that is based on God's fatherly chastisement or discipline, as opposed to giving a slavish fear, which is based on his vindictive wrath as a judge. So listen carefully to what Erskine says. He says, I will not send them to hell. He's talking in the first person for God. He says, no, I will not send them to hell nor deprive them of heaven. In other words, you're not going to lose your salvation. He says, but, he says, no more. He says, and I will break my great oath to my eternal son. Yet, like a father, I will chastise them. I will correct them for their faults. He says, listen, I will squeeze them in the mortar of affliction and press out the corrupt juice of old Adam that is in them. Yes, I will hide my face. That's his favor, the sweetness of his presence. He says, I will deny them that communion and fellowship with me that sometimes they had that was sweet and, and give them terror instead of comfort and bitterness instead of sweetness. He says, listen, shall I leave all the sweetness that I've enjoyed with God and take on with base lusts and idols? And hence, when the believer hath gone aside and backslidden, what is it that brings him back to God? He finds the Lord breaking him in many ways, and he reflects through grace upon this sometimes. Oh, how I am deprived of these sweet interviews that I once enjoyed. Therefore, I will go and return to my first husband, for then it was better with me than now. Yea, his freedom from law threatenings and being only under fatherly correction when he sees this, it breaks his heart and it melts it more than all the fire of hell could do. 
The slavish fear of vindictive wrath discourages him, weakens his hands and duties, and makes him run away from God. But the filial fear of God's fatherly wrath, which is kindly, is a motive of love that encourages him to his duty. It's a beautiful paragraph. This is what Erskine is saying. When we find ourselves in a dark night, when we have backslidden, when we have gone aside, when we're like David in the psalm and have committed some kind of grievous sin in our life that is crushing our conscience, he says, be careful to distinguish between slavish and filial fear. Slavish fear views God as your vindictive judge, full of wrath, ready to condemn you to hell. But... He says, in contrast, filial fear views God as our father who is kind and receives us as sons and disciplines us out of love. As the author of Hebrews writes, the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Listen, and he chastises every son whom he receives. But slavish fear discourages us. Slavish fear weakens our obedience. Slavish fear makes us run away from God like Adam, who after sinning, he he ran from God and he hid in fear. And he says in Genesis 3.10, he says, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. I was fully exposed to you in my guilt. He says, so I hid myself. That's slavish fear. But, but this filial fear, the fear of a son to his father, this is what Erskine says. He says, it's a motive of love that encourages our hearts to repentance and to obedience. Listen, Ralph Erskine again, he says, which of these motives, slavish fear or filial fear, do you think will work up in the believer the most obedience? It's a great question. Which of these fears, slavish fear or filial fear, do you think will work up in the believer the most obedience? He says, consider this one, this legal one. Oh, my wrathful judge, he will send me to hell if I do so-and-so. Or this gospel one. Oh, my God and Father in Christ Jesus will be angry at me and deny me his love tokens. I suppose the former, this slavish fear, works upon enmity and raises it. But this gospel one, this filial fear, works upon love and it inflames it. You see, so when you're in a dark night and possess a sense of God's displeasure, his severe discipline, and you lose the sweetness of his presence for bitterness, you have to remember that Even at that point, God is not your vindictive, wrathful judge. He is your kind and loving father who is receiving you, not abandoning you, and who is disciplining you out of love to press out the corrupt juices of the old Adam so that you can be more like Christ. And so we have to recall that when we're in a dark night because of Christ's satisfaction for us, God, our Father, he no longer remembers our sins. This is what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 8, that God, because of the new covenant, he says he'll no longer remember our sins, hold them against us. 
He doesn't hold against us even the sinful nature against which we are struggling our whole life, but rather he imputes to us the righteousness of Christ so that we will never again come under condemnation ever again. We have to remember that. And so listen, when a believer sins, he or she doesn't lose fellowship with Christ. That's salvation. Rather, what do we lose? We lose, like David, the sense of the sweetness of that fellowship. The sweetness of our fellowship becomes bitter. And this is what David laments when he says, Return, O Lord. Instead of possessing a sense of comfort of God's presence, David possesses this sense of bitterness. And so if we're going to keep going on when we experience a dark night, we have to distinguish, first of all, between filial and slavish fear. This psalm teaches us to, that we have to learn to continuously call upon God on the basis of his mercy. Just like David in this psalm, he is repeatedly throughout this psalm, five times he calls upon God. He, you have what, what we did this morning, an invocation. He's invoking God. He, it is an invocation. He is crying out for deliverance to God. He is constantly calling upon God, and he does it on the basis of God's mercy. Thanks, John. That's part one of The Lord Accepts My Prayer from the series, How to Keep Going. We'll hear more coming up next time. The heart of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. With each message, our prayer is you would hear, believe, and enjoy the gospel in your life. If you want to re-listen to or share any of these messages, you can find our smartphone app or locate our podcast by searching for Dr. John Fonville or Him We Proclaim. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to learn more about his local church in Jacksonville, Florida, you can visit ParamountChurch.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time.